Today we will cover the third stage. The end of the third stage marks a threshold which describes this capacity that we are able to stay engaged with the object of our meditation throughout the session. And uh, with that, you become what you might call an experienced meditator. And with, the, with whatever meditation practice you're using in your daily life, with the third stage, uh, this practice becomes, how to say, more powerful, it starts to work. Let's say you do a loving-kindness meditation, and that's your practice. If you sit down, and instead of engaging with the loving-kindness meditation, you stick to your compulsive stories, and to your fantasies, and to your worries, and to spacing out, then there is certain benefits in that kind of practice, but basically you're wasting your time. So even if you, uh, you, if you have yoga as your main practice, I mean, if you do your yoga and your mind is all over the place and you think about things and you have stressful thoughts or fantasies and you get lost in distractions, then of course the yoga practice is, yeah, you have still the fitness effect, but uh, it's not a spiritual practice, it's not a transformative practice. So we all should, or we all could have the inspiration to make the third and the fourth stage our baseline in our meditation practice. Baseline means more or less that's what we fall back into. That's like, that's like the level uh, in our meditation practice, that we are actually able to stay engaged with the meditation object. So let's make that um, the goal for this uh, until December, that we will all move towards the third stage. If you are a meditator and you have already had some years of meditation practice and you're not in the third stage, you really need to get your shit together. You really need to check up your practice. What the heck are you doing? And uh, that's, that does not mean that years of uh, being distracted and spacing out, that that is a waste of time. No, there's a lot of other things to learn and, and to develop. Uh, but uh, I hope that for those of you who have meditated for some time, that you get a bit more awareness, where are you actually in your practice? And where do you need to correct? And where do you need to apply some of the instructions I share with you? So many of us 
in daily living a busy life will not be able to reach a state beyond the fourth stage. So the fourth stage we will cover next time. So it's, it's, it's good to have a high Im ambition, but it's also good not to have unrealistic expectations. So many of, of us will, if you put effort into this, cultivating stable attention, will settle around the third and fourth stage during daily busy life. And then if you want to go beyond that, which is definitely possible, um, you either need to do retreats, regular retreats, or you need to simplify your life and you need to have a strong mindfulness practice during daily life. So that's... Uh, so from the fourth stage, we need to put a bit more attention to how we live our life. What are the conditions we need to create uh, to go beyond the fourth stage? And we will talk about that next time. So the third stage is mastered when the meditation object, the breath in our case, throughout the session does not slip completely into the background. So I said that before, it's not about <coughs> that there is nothing happening. No, there is still stuff happening and there's thoughts and, and there's distractions and emotions. but. The, you don't forget the object anymore. So, and, and remember, forgetting means it completely slips out of your awareness and you do something else, else than what you intended to do. And that was watching the breath. So in other words, you overcome cross distractions and cross dullness or um, drowsiness. So cross dullness or cross distraction are these experiences which come to the foreground and replace the primary object. So that's, so in the case of dullness that means you completely lose the breath as an object and you fall into a kind of darkness, uh, like a yeah, a drowsiness. And a cross-distraction a cross is something which can capture so, your mind, your attention so much that you lose the primary object. So this losing of the primary object, that's finished with the, third, with the end of the third stage. So that's um, initially, of course, you... You don't be so ambitious now, uh, particular, particularly if this ambitiousness leads to force, leads to uh, kind of trying to control the mind. Uh, then I will talk about a bit about this a bit more. So don't be too ambitious, but um, have the strong intention. Without, 
without the strong intention making you tense. So since realistically, uh, many of us will work on this level, on the third level, third, third stage, fourth stage, that does not mean uh, that listening to the other uh, stages is useless. Uh, first, it's always good to have a map. Second, in the third and fourth stage, you will have experiences which are actually described in the, in the higher stages. So you find some explanation of what might happen in your meditation in the third and fourth stage in the description of the fifth, sixth, and seventh, and eighth stage. Uh, and then some of the instructions of the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth stage are already applicable and useful to know when we are in the third, fourth, fourth, fourth stage. To, to have the third stage as, as your baseline, it's really good. You can get far in your Vipassana practice, uh, you can get far in your loving-kindness practice, in your Vajrasattva practice, in whatever practice, whatever practice you use, uh, because you actually do the practice before you don't really do the practice. Before yeah, you sit down and do a loving-kindness meditation, that's your intention, but what you're doing is something else. You think about dinner, or you struggle with a difficult emotion. Um, what is also uh, interesting and makes us maybe want to put a bit more energy into our meditation practice, the third stage, the natural healing process, the natural purification process of the mind starts to happen. So that would be one reason for, uh, for putting the necessary diligence into this, into this project of making the third stage your baseline. Okay, so let's start with the short meditation. And then I will talk a bit, and then after the break, like last time, there will be time for question and discussion. So we start with a kind of entry protocol by first checking in, adjusting your posture, noticing, acknowledging what you bring with you into this moment. Allowing the shift happen from the head into the body. Gentle and loving. And 
and with the in-breath you slide with your awareness down into your feet. And then with the out-breath, giving space, letting go. If possible, with the out-breath, releasing some of the tension. Sliding with the in-breath, noticing your hands. Then with the out-breath, letting go, softening the belly, softening the shoulders, Softening the face, particularly the forehead and the jaws. And of course, there's sounds and there's thoughts. Allow, allow them to slide into the background. And instead bring the sensations in your body, the energy of your body to the foreground. making that a moment of meeting yourself like a friend. The in-breath, embracing. And with the out-breath, opening like a fist opening. So your mind and your body settle in the present moment, allowing this moment to be exactly what it is. If you notice that you get entangled in, in, a, in the stream of thinking, you lovingly return to your breath, 
through your hands. Or to another experience within your body. There's nothing you need to think about and there's nothing you need to do. And if you notice that you do something, that you try to attain something or you try to get rid of something, with the out-breath you relax that grasping. returning, returning and resting. Softening. Then if it makes sense for you, you feel the presence of the Buddha in front of you, maybe surrounded by some of your main teachers, male and female, Buddhist or non-Buddhist. Allow their presence to bathe your whole body like you would sit in the sun. You notice their loving eyes and their relaxed smile. Every cell of your body, from the toes to the top of your head, is opening like a flower.
then the Buddha dissolves into light together with your teachers and this light enters your heart your heart opens like a flower and you feel the Buddha within the light within and your wisdom and your compassion, your care radiates out into your whole body and leaving your body through the pores of your body Then we align ourselves with our intention to practice <coughs> not only for our own value, but also for the awakening and well-being of all beings. The intention to use this life to to grow up and to wake up for the benefit of all. And in order to wake up, we need to have a deep insight into reality. And in order to have a deep insight into reality, we need to have stable attention. So that's why we focus now, tonight, on the cultivation of stable attention.
So there's a few things here in this stage which are helpful. I will uh, just uh, pick some of them and then in the break uh, I will check if I forgot something important and then I will do that after the break and then there will be time for questions. Maybe the first thing I said similar things before I want to say is one of the important moments in this work is this moment when we realize with introspective awareness that we are either already lost in a distraction or in dullness or we are just about to. And that's actually uh, a capacity of introspective awareness to, to become aware when we, are about, when we are about to lose the primary object of our meditation. So this is an important moment. So let's say your intention is to engage with the breath. And then at one point, you realize you do something else. For example, you, uh, you have a, an attack of a compulsive sticky story. So this moment of this aha, aha, I'm not engaged with the primary object anymore. I'm thinking about my neighbor who sucks. So this is a moment of mindfulness. This is a moment of success. So what is important in this moment, not to get frustrated and trying to force or control the mind, but to return to the object in a gentle, unhurried, so unhurried means you notice it and then you take your time. So it's not like you notice it and then shit. <clears throat> yeah? So that would be the unskillful way. Uh, no. The skillful way is you notice it. Ah, great. Okay, you stay a moment. Here you can then also use the practice of labeling, I think I called it last time, yeah? Labeling, thinking, wow. Compulsive sticky story, CTT, compulsive sticky story, no, CST, CST, compulsive sticky story, CST. CSS, 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 yeah. <laughs> CSS. CSS. Uh, or um, what would be another planning? You said pl planning, yeah. Or amazing spiritual insight, amazing spiritual insight, RSE. <laughs> so, and then un unhurried, unhurried. So, an image which uh, might be helpful here. It is 
like a leaf falling down onto a lake. It's like gentle. It's not, it's not really something you do, it's more something you allow to happen. So this is important to be mindful about. If you, at this moment, try to control your mind through concentration, your, your meditation will become very frustrating, very agitated. Because by, uh, by trying to bring tension and control in the mind, it becomes actually more agitated. Because when you try to control something, it, it, uh, will, no, it will not obey. And there will be resistance. There will be more inattention. <coughs> and this, this increased inattention will lead to more agitation, not to less. This is uh, very difficult to describe. So, because we are talking about a quite subtle process, so you need to listen to this and think a bit about it, and then you need to uh, observe your own meditation and observe how you how you how you deal with the situation when you realize that you have forget, forgotten the meditation object. So, how do you return to the breath? Ah, uh, aha, yeah. So there is this positive reinforcement, and then gentle, almost more an allowing rather than a controlling, like a leaf falling down onto a lake. I'm hurried. You, you don't need to rush in this moment. Yeah? And then in a loving way. So in a loving way. Uh, an example here would be to train a puppy. So you train a puppy to sit. And then the puppy runs off. And you, oh, sit. Yeah? And you're not like what you, what you don't want to do because you know you don't want to have that kind of dog which is scared. So what, what you don't want to do is the puppy runs off and whooms. It will obey, maybe, yeah, but it will be a broken dog, a useless dog, a, a dog without trust, yeah, an anxious dog. Uh, so that's, that's like the loving way in it. It's like So that's the first point. So I already said that before. I mean, there's things I will repeat again and again throughout this process, but they have slightly different meaning when I repeat them in the different stages, because we are working with more and more subtle distractions and more and more, more, and more subtle dullness. So, Right now, we are working with cross dullness and cross distractions. Cross, not cross, cross. Cross distraction and cross dullness. We are not working with subtle dullness and subtle distraction. This comes later. 
So what does a, what a distraction, what does it make a cross distraction is when it has the capacity to replace the primary object. In that moment, a distraction becomes a cross distraction. So at the end of the stage, th of the stage three, this is not going to happen anymore. You have overcome cross-destruction and cross-styleness. And again, this does not mean that there is not other stuff happening in peripheral awareness. There is. So it's not about uh, having just space or you know, stopping your thinking or something. So it's a bit like now you're listening to me, so I become your primary primary focus. But in peripheral awareness, you're still aware of the people, no? And you hear a bit what's going on. So it's not like that you're sitting like this and the only thing you see and I'm in contact with is what I'm saying. There's more things happening. So now, if throughout this lecture, throughout the next 20 minutes, you are able to keep your attention primarily on what I'm saying, then you are listening to this lecture being on the third stage. This is very unlikely. More likely is, as an untrained, well, let's say, as an untrained person, you would uh, uh, listen to the lecture about 40%. So 60% of the time, when you listen to a lecture, as an untrained person, you're thinking about something else. You're actually not hearing what is, I mean, you're hearing what I'm saying, but it's not your primary fo focus. You don't pay attention to it. Instead, you pay attention to your own debate or to, uh, you know, to something which happened today or, or something else. So, how to work with these distractions, the other things which are happening. As long as they are not very strong, you do this. You let them come, you let them be, you let them go. So what that means is, you pay attention to what I'm saying, and if Clara would make some noise, particular pair would be very aware of that. <laughs> yeah, you kind of you have your peripheral awareness is like in the back, you know, yeah. if she's fine and <laughs> if she's behaving, uh, and, and that's fine. Right now, you're still the primary focus is to what I'm saying right now. Um, so, so what he is doing uh, is the primary focus is what I'm saying. But with peripheral awareness, he is kind of aware of what is happening. And he let it, 
he lets it go, he lets it be, and he no, he lets it he lets it come, let it be, let it go. So there is a noise, and peripheral awareness is good enough to kind of know oh, there's nothing to bother about. She's fine. There's some noise, but I just let it be. Yeah? I don't pay attention to it. So now, if this noise of Clara becomes a bit uh, more distinct, probably at one point, this now this is let no, now let's pretend it's part of your mind, which it is. Yeah, it, on one hand, yeah, <laughs> she is a part of your mind. Um, so right now, this process called Clara is can do her thing. And Peer has a bit off with his peripheral awareness. He, he kind of checks with that. The good thing in this is it keeps, it keeps him alert. So he's not going to fall, a, uh, fall asleep. Yeah? Because there's things to check and things happening. So that's how the importance of peripheral awareness in working with dullness. Because we need to find ways to keep our mind energized, not over-energized, just energized. So if Clara wouldn't be here, the likelihood that Pear would fall asleep is much bigger. Yeah? So that's how Clara in this stage, and now Clara is just uh, a placeholder for, for any other process inside and outside of you, which competes, uh, competes with your attention. So in that way, Clara, at this stage, is actually a support of your meditation. It keeps you alert. It keeps you energized. So what do we do with it? As long as it's every everything is fine there, and peripheral awareness has the capacity to check that. Peripheral awareness is not precise as the stable intention, so peripheral awareness will not be able to detect details and impermanence and stuff like that, but it, it kind of can check things. Is this dangerous or not? Yeah? Can this be lovingly ignored or not? So, in case of that, and it doesn't matter what it is, it can be discomfort, it can be insights, it can be uh, feelings, it can be sounds, it can be any kind of bodily sensation. If you can uh, just let it do its thing, then you work with let it go, let it come, let it be, let it go. Let it come, let it be, let it go. Yeah. So, now, and I've mentioned that already before uh, as a possibility. What if it turns a bit up there? Yeah, something is happening. Yeah, uh, 
I mean, maybe she she feels uncomfortable, bored, restless, uh, sad. Maybe she yeah, and 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 pair becomes is aware of it. It's in peripheral awareness. So at one point, the most skillful thing to do is to let go of the breath as your primary focus in that meditation and make clara your primary focus. So you, uh, you, you take one of the cats in this room, yeah? in this metaphor, metaphor, metaphor with the cats in the room. So the, an emotional process, an insight, a body sensation becomes so strong that you can't hold it anymore in peripheral awareness with a loving equanimity. Because, so at that point when it becomes so strong, let's say she starts to do something. For a while you might try to um, kind of try to ignore it, like shut up, yeah, I want to listen. So you try to keep engaged with the object, which is what I'm saying, through force, yeah, and, and, and this becomes stressful. Why? Because a kind of a fight has ha started and your system goes into the fight-flight complex. So you, you, try to, uh, you try to block her out. And, and that is, um, that is a, a, like an aggressive act. Yeah. So it becomes uncomfortable. And you could probably, you can all imagine if this would be your daughter, that you kind of, you would feel like, no, it, it, like this, uh, uncomfortable. It's, it's like you don't like it anymore. You still try to keep on focus, but it, it's just unpleasant. Yeah? So the, the same kind of stress would happen if, for example, a grief, which needs time to, to be explored and which needs time to be expressed, is there, emerging from the unconscious. And initially, okay, so yes, it can be there, but then it becomes stronger. Yeah? It, it, it calls for your attention. So if you then would try to suppress this, then you start a fight with yourself. You, you start a fight with, with, a, with a process, or two processes start to fight. Yeah? because there is not the one in control who can start to fight. So it's two processes start to fight, and this is stressful. And it, it can happen that some people stay in this kind of struggle and fighting with processes in their meditation for many years. So now, and I mentioned that before, Let go of the breath and put the grief on the, on the tray. Let go of the breath and 
put the physical discomfort on the tray. Physical discomfort through the, your posture. Physical discomfort through tension somewhere in the body. Uh, anxiety. This is a whole chapter by itself, anxiety. Put anxiety on the tray. So no, anxiety is particularly important because it's time for us to be able to relate to and be with anxiety in more and more loving and curious ways. This is very important. Not only because we experience anxiety every day, and it's not going to go away that quickly, uh, so probably most of us will experience anxiety for the rest of this life. So we need to increase our loving tolerance towards anxiety. But particular, as spiritual practitioner, I mean, we want to have an experience of no self. Yeah? So that's why we want to cultivate stable attention, to, ex to experience no self, anatta. And the experience of anatta comes most of the time with intense anxiety. It's like the, the ego process defending and, and not wanting to let go. So more quick we start of not feeling uncomfortable with anxiety, better it is. Uh, I think, I hope that what was enough at least to spark a bit of curiosity towards anxiety. A loving curiosity. So, you put it on the tray. Uh, Particular, there's three categories there, what we put on the tray. Discomfort, insights. So what is meant by insights is our mind now, in the third stage, starts to stabilize a bit. So it will be able to think more clear. Yeah? And you will be able to follow through a chain of thinking. And in that kind of thinking, there's a joy. And what happens quite regularly, once our mind um, is stable, we develop these insights. Yeah? Wow, I'm one with everything. Or, yeah, now, now I understand anatta. Or, uh, wow, yeah, now I understand where this trauma comes from. I, you know, I have this childhood memory. And so, as long as we can keep those insights in peripheral awareness, let it, let it come, let it be, let it go, not making a big deal, 
that's fine. We stay engaged with the breath. But sometimes these kind of insights, they come with a really a, a force. So put them onto the tray. And the last category is strong emotions. Anxiety, grief, jealousy, anger, uh, and so on. Yeah? So put them onto the tray. Now, so you let go of the breath and you take this experience as the support for your meditation. The direction you go is the felt sense of that emotion in your body. Let's say anger. The primary focus when you put it on the tray is not the story. The primary focus is how this story makes you feel in the body, the energy of the anger. Yeah? Drop the story, pay attention to the somatic, to the felt sense of the emotion in your body. Drop beyond the words, go really down into the vibrational level of an emotion. So now this is a moment where you actually shift more into the vipassana category of meditation. And that's fine. Vipassana and shamatha practice is not that separate as some, some people think. Yeah? So it, it kind of goes together. So definitely if you uh, work with a difficult feeling, a difficult emotion in this way, you kind of leave a bit the shamatha category of meditation and you have a, a visit in the vipassana, the inside, the deep seeing category of meditation. So now, quite often, if it's not a very, very intensive experience, it kind of dissipates, it loses its power. Because you, for example, anger is very short-lived if you don't feed it with uh, compulsive thinking. Yeah? So anger seems to remain for quite some time, but it's actually not true. You, uh, you have to give it a kick with thoughts. Yeah? So anger by itself, the energy of anger lasts about 20, 30 seconds and then it is gone. But then you put new fire on it with the next thought. Yeah? And so that's, that's how you keep the, the anger alive, with thinking. Yeah? That's why it's, it, it seems sometimes that an anger attack lasts for two days or for a whole afternoon. But it's actually short bursts of anger and then again and again kept alive. Uh, so if you are able to drop the story and you, at you attend to the, to the energetic aspect of anger, it should dissipate, it, dissipate quite quickly. Yeah? Um, the same is true for anxiety. Yeah? Um, so if that is the case, if it dissipates quite quickly, 
uh, you return to the breath as your primary object. But you can't force this process. So it could be that for quite a long time, maybe even for years, uh, you have to do this again and again and again and again. Yeah. Again, this grief, lovingly giving space, looking at it in your body, and again and again. So, <coughs> these three, uh, the three A's here, they are part of uh, this process of putting a strong emotion on your tray, on your, uh, on your, yeah, on the tray make it the primary focus on your, of your meditation. Acknowledging grief. So acknowledging here is, uh, is very important because it is an antidote towards denying. And it's an antidote towards uh, the thought that you should be spared of grief. It shouldn't happen. Why me? Yeah. So this acknowledging is also to acknowledge as, as a healthy, normal, common human experience we all have to experience. There's nothing wrong with you. and There's nothing wrong with grief. So that is quite a big step for someone growing up in an emotion-phobic culture. It's, it's a big step to accept your humanness. It, it's a big step to accept the common ground we all share. And we will all, we will, uh, with some feelings, uh, it will be more easy, f no? Some of you will be more willing to look at anger. So it's also, it, it's also the personal history uh, and also what kind of rules was there in the family where you grew up, yeah? Like in some families, there's more space for grief and in some families there's space for anger, and in some families, there's space for nothing. <laughs> so, you're, not, you're not even allowed to be happy. <laughs> um, so it depends a bit. So it, it, it sounds so acknowledging, but, but it, is a, it is a big step to turn away from the idea that 
emotions are dangerous and there's something wrong with any emotion to a curiosity and and a, 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 like a a wonder and an awe so allowing yeah so that is really li like this allowing and this allowing is radical so it's not like Okay, grief. Let's say mm, half an hour. But you know, tomorrow you, I, I have to go to work, so uh, tomorrow it needs to be finished. Yeah. So I allow you. So that's what I do. But it's a bargain. Yeah. So kind of, I allow you a while, and then out. Yeah. And if you're not gone by tomorrow, uh, or like, let's say in our culture, it's about three months. And then you're, then you're supposed to be over it. Otherwise, you are called depressed. So uh, three months is kind of acceptable. Yeah? But even there, I wouldn't go to a psychiatrist in these three months because he might already, after one month, say, this is a depression. So, uh, so allowing is radical allowing. What that means is, you say, okay, I allow you as long as you need. It's not in my control. I, I, I'm not in control how long I grieve. It's a process. A healing process, which is, which is out of my control, I can't push it. So that's the allowing. So really deeply accepting, accepting that this is your experience. So. There's a few addition, additions here. Sometimes you will notice that you, can't, you cannot handle this by your own, on your own. Yeah? So get help. Get professional help, medical help, uh, um, talk with a friend, use anything which uh, helps you to be a loving container to your feelings. And you don't need to do this alone. There's help. So, if you can't handle it, and what I mean with you can't handle it, it is you get overwhelmed. You, um, you, you don't have a, a, yeah, you are not a loving container. You identify with it. You get lost. There's no, there's no curiosity there. Uh, 
So one, th one thing is to introduce some other healing methods, you know, body work or, no, or whatever. I mean, there's many, ma many things we can do. Um, in your meditation practice, if this is the case, you might want to shift for a while to a self-compassion practice, to a loving-kindness practice, to a I'm, I love myself practice, to a I'm enough practice. Any kind of practices which then which, are, which help you to be a, a container, to be a, a loving container to your experience. Ground, ground, groundness, grounding practices, massage, uh, you know, body work, uh, going for walks, being in nature, being with friends, going dancing. Yeah? So all these practices which stabilize you and give you some, some space to then do this. So what I'm not saying uh, with this practice of putting anxiety on the tray or grief on the tray, that you kind of bite your teeth together and sit on. It's more as sitting on it, like yeah, I'm, I'm there and I'm, I'm going there and I'm, I'm being. But it, it's uh, there's no space. There's no um, equanimity. There's no. Uh, there's no, uh, there's not this healthy little distance to the experience. So, what happened? What what can happen if you don't do this? Is I give you an example. So let's say you do a group retreat in silence. And in the first day, one of your conditioning comes up. And this conditioning is, I'm not good enough. So you feel kind of, I don't belong to the group, and, and they, they are, seem to be also peaceful, and, and the teacher doesn't like me. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. So imagine this person suffering from this deep conditioning, sitting there in silence. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. It becomes more and more the reality of this person. Yeah? Because there's not the opportunity also to check. Yeah? Like maybe one talk with another person about how difficult it is to sit quietly there and the, the mind is going all over the place and I can't sleep, would maybe break that spell. But in a silent retreat, that's not possible. So you're sitting there in your own shit and in your own projections. So now, when this person doesn't manage to break the spell, she will more and more train herself in, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. So she will feel more and more horrible. So she will strengthen that conditioning. And then she goes home after a retreat, worse off than before. 
so this is a kind of, uh, one could say, it's a kind of re-traumatizing. So this is not what I mean with putting it on the tray. And uh, it's, of course, not easy to kind of figure out, am I doing a bit too much now, being with my anxiety? Why is this still good and being part of the healing process? That's a bit difficult to say. Probably we need to sometimes um, kind of fall into the extremes. 